Hey there, welcome to the Ben Learns About Everything podcast, where I'm trying to learn as much as I can, because I think the world's a really interesting place, and there's a lot of things I don't know. So today I have Ethan uh, with me, and Ethan, you can just go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, um, I'm Ethan Wyant. Uh, I go to school with Ben. I'm a floor manager at Woodcraft of Grand Rapids, so I'm a huge woodworker. Uh, among plenty of other hobbies that I probably shouldn't have, you know, because who has that much time? But, you know, big, big woodworker. Yeah. And um, so my, my goal for this podcast is just to learn something new every day from someone different. And um, I brought you in first because I think you're someone who has a whole lot of different hobbies. You know, you do like mm -hmm. you said, sewing. And I know um, that you do woodworking as well. And um also, just a whole lot of different things. I really want to learn like more from you. Yeah. Um, and my goal is just to learn, you know, something from someone who knows a lot about a particular subject. Mm. And so, um, you know, I brought you in today. If you could teach me something about woodworking today, that would be like the best. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, what got you started in the whole like realm and interested in doing anything with wood? I guess. Yeah. Um... Well, I'm I'm technically a third generation furniture maker, so okay. we skipped a generation, sort of. My grand, my great grandfather was a big woodworker, and then my dad was for a while, and they made a you know a little bit of money out of it, and so we consider that a furniture making history. Um, but I'm really the one that's taken up the buck in terms of like this is something that I've really loved doing and particularly in wood turning. So it's using a lathe and spinning a block of wood really fast and hoping it doesn't fly off and hit my face. <laughs> okay. Uh, so much so that I've trained and at a local guild, I'm considered a journeyman uh, kind of level of skill. You know, I'm not all the way there and I certainly don't expect to know everything about it, but I'm definitely practiced enough that I can do some stuff. Okay. So <laughs> like, can you tell me a bit more about like, that structure as a whole like the guild or the journeyman yeah because like, you know, guild sounds kind of like old-fashioned you know does, what i mean it really like, does and there's not a whole lot left like there's the and unfortunately i'm no longer with the guild um we had some falling out in terms of safety precautions at meetings okay okay um but the grand river wood turners guild um that's kind of where i started to like meet others in the community on grand rapids and there's not really a specific hierarchy there, but we do use old school hierarchy as like a measurement of like, oh, this guy, he, you should talk to him because he's at this level of skill. So like we use like novice and assistant and journeyman and master, you know, just as like a general, like, hey, he's got that specific skill or he's at that level, but it's nothing official within the guild compared to like, you know, back old time UK if you were a journeyman, you specifically had a specific purpose and like you were part of a real hierarchy. Yeah. And not necessarily true. We're more of just a community that meet that we were more of a community that meet and have like a demonstration and swapped ideas. Okay. So you would meet like how often? The, I think they still meet. It's like once a month. Okay. Every, like I think it's the third Tuesday of the month, third Thursday yeah. of the month. Okay. So it's really like a meetup for a lot of people who have like a similar interest in yeah, the in woodworking. Specifically turning. Okay. Yep. Turning. Okay. Yep. Wood turning. And then there, you know, there's a local like just woodworking guild. There's a carvers guild locally. There's all sorts of these little clubs. Okay. And so I've heard about turning most with pens. I know you can turn wood yep. and make like pen yep. shells yep. and then 
put the ink inside of it and you have like a wooden pen, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. But what are some other things that you, so, you can make? So, you know, like the biggest thing is uh, bolts okay. and vase okay. and um, table legs, baseball bats. I've done Harry Potter wand commissions. Like I've made That's like awesome. super ornate original wands out of exotic woods. Like okay. anything that's in the round, right? Um, so I guess yeah. I was kind of imagining like smaller things, but like that's awesome no, that like, like a vase is huge. So you, you yeah. have your turner, right? But this huge block of wood, I guess is what you start with, yeah. is just fixed to it. Yeah. And how does that work? Like how does it... So a lathe, the tool that we use, the piece that actually spins the wood for us, it involves, let me count, one, two, three, four main pieces, I'll say. It starts okay. with a bed, which is just like the big rail that everything sits on top of, a headstock, a tailstock, and a banjo. And the banjo is what holds the tool rest that we hold our tools on, okay? And the headstock is stationary and has a motor beneath it, okay? And the motor drives a spinning shaft in the headstock. The log is put on a spike, essentially, on the headstock, and the tailstock is moved forward. It so it's like two pins. Two pins come together. That's the essential basics of it. Push come, into the wood. Push into the wood and okay. hold it there, and then the headstock starts spinning the thing towards you. Okay, and then, do you control it with like, just a on-off switch, or is there like, yeah. like a pedal or something? Well, most like, modern lathes, they're electronic, right? Yeah and they're going to be an on-off switch and the majority of the ones that you buy today are going to have electronic variable speed where there's a, a dial control right yeah so you can sit there and be like turning like that is way too fast and you can turn it down without having to do anything okay and then within those typically an electronic variable speed will have in the headstock what we call three major um speed uh, positions okay so the wheel will have like a big and middle and then a small uh space for the belt so like if i wanted a specific range of speed i'd put the belt in the smallest one or if i wanted the next up range of speed i put the belt in the next one and then the even higher is the bigger one right yeah so it allows me i have three major speed ranges and then within those i can control with the electronic variable speed okay that's really cool and mm -hmm. then you said like you hope it doesn't like fly off yeah. and that would happen if the the pins there's come out or all like... sorts of reasons that have come off i mean a lot of the times you know you have a really bad catch that's when the tool digs into the piece without you knowing uh or without your control and all of a sudden everything kind of stops motion and all that inertia has got to go somewhere so it just rips itself out okay and either goes towards you away from you in any direction yeah um, or, yep, it's spinning too fast, and the log has a heavier spot in one side, so now it's off-center. Yeah, okay. And it's just fly off. Yeah. Or sometimes we use something called a chuck, a four-jaw chuck, and that's actually like a gripper on one end. Rather than having a spike on the headstock, it's actually grabbing the piece by a nubbin that we've put on the end. Like a claw grabs, yeah, like, yeah. one end of the yeah, wood. but okay. it's super strong, yeah. like, stupid strong. Sometimes, though, if the wood's just wet enough, if it's, like, green enough... It'll slip right out. Okay. Right? And if there, and, uh, the reason we use a four jaw chuck is so sometimes we don't have to use the tailstock so we can do the hollowing of the bowl or the vase or something. Okay, got it. So you have to hold one end in the claw, in I the guess, chuck. in the chuck, so that you can get to the other thing yep. without having the pin in yep. the way, right? Okay. Yep. So it's like when you're doing bowls or vase or hollow forms, all sorts of stuff. Uh, that's like really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I guess it, I don't know. It's just it sounds a little scary to me. Like yeah, like, you the know, potential to be hurt, but like well, you talk about like oh, you can get so hurt and you can get messed up, right? Right. That's that's true when you start going towards like huge stuff, right? Or okay. you know moderately sized bowls, yeah. but nobody ever starts there. Okay. Whenever I have somebody come into my store or come to one of my classes. I start them off with, like you said, a pen. I start them off with a vegetable peeler handle. I start them off with a little dinky do that if it flies off, one, it's probably just going to be like, oh, it hit me. Whoops. Right. And the biggest thing in, in my shop, anytime I'm teaching or I am running my own shop, everybody in the room wears a face shield if a lathe is on. Oh, OK. okay that's amazing. So yeah. face shield um, for wood turners and any, almost any other industry. We use a special one as wood turners. It's the Honeywell Univex. It's like the best one you can buy. It's polycarbonate. It lifts up and it lifts down. So you can like look at a piece while it's stopped. But you can also put it down for quick protection. OK. And that's a really big protectant. You know, something will still hit your body. Yeah. In hurt. But, you know, you're protecting your face. Yeah. The, like more important things which could get mm -hmm. hurt, like your eyes. Yeah. So no matter what, somebody's wearing a face shield when I'm teaching. Okay. Um, and I always tell people they should. No matter do you what. also wear one when you're doing your own work as well? Yeah. Or yep. Okay, you do. I, I've been hit a few times and okay. I've <laughs> seen some of my friends oh, they get so messed up. And what's even worse is like even if they're wearing a face shield, but they purchased a crappy one. Okay. It's so, like okay, you purchase a ten dollar face shield from Harbor Freight. Yeah. The problem with those things is they don't have a frame on the bottom. Okay. The U the, the Honeywell Uvex that I wear, it's got the polycarbonate lens, but it's also got a hard plastic frame that completely surrounds the lens. Okay. And so if I do happen to get hit, not only does it apply pressure to the top of my skull to stabilize itself, but the bottom part of the frame hits my breastbone. Oh, so wow. I have two points of, of contact yep. to stop the plexiglass from caving in or the polycarbonate from caving in and hitting my face. Yeah. I mean, which is really good. Really, Otherwise, really it would good. just get pushed in. Mm -hmm. OK, but yeah, let's let's talk about something else, I guess, in the same realm instead mm -hmm. of just getting hurt. Like, how, how do you, I guess, go about making something of quality? Like you said, you're like journey level, journeyman level. Yeah, so what's know, the difference between like you and then a master, I guess? So, yeah, the real it's a real test of skill. At, at some point, it's just a matter of time investment. You know, quality is really subjective, like okay. really, really subjective. Yeah. But a lot of it's a time investment. And the real key, like when we say somebody's like a master, for me, it's somebody that's done a really specific project. It's called a trembler. Tremblers are these ornate turnings that are usually 16 to 20 inches tall. And it's a goblet, okay? Okay. And you've got the goblet on the top, and you've got the thing on the bottom, and it's like the stem goes down to an eighth inch, and then opens up into a really ornate turn bobble or whatever, and then back down to an eighth inch, and then another ornate bobble. And so across the entire like 18 inches of this thing, you've got all these really ornate turnings connected by super thin pieces, and it's all one solid piece of wood. And the reason they're called tremblers is because when you set them on a table and you just blow on them, the top will just tremble. Wow. Okay. These guys are super proud of these things and they carry them in plastic tubes and whatnot. It's like the crowning achievement for us 
um, in this like area to have one of those and to have made one of those. Okay, that's amazing. And I guess you would take it really slow, like <laughs> yeah, that process. I mean, not only is the process of turning it really slow, it's learning how to do it. There's some really specific techniques and tools that you need. Okay, specifically, you need what are called or what I, we call um, string stabilizers. Uh huh. And essentially, they're these these tools that you mount to the lathe that kind of surround the piece with some armatures and you use a cotton twine and you slowly wrap it around. Um, you have three nails that surround the piece and you wrap it around up to that nail and you go to the other one and wrap it around and wrap it around. So you have three forces that are pulling against the piece in equal tension yeah. to help stabilize it because it's so long and so thin. If we didn't have any stabilizers in the middle, it would just break apart as we turned okay. it. So you fix it on several parts on this long, like, uh, string or tube looking thing kind of and it's got beads almost along it like little yeah. circles you, you kind of going say that. through it yeah wrapping around like a goblet cup thing yeah right okay that's awesome yep and so like you got to build those specific tools you have to you know source the perfect piece of wood i mean oftentimes we're made out of maple but even just saying that you have a piece of maple isn't good enough. You have to have straight grain. Typically, you want coruscant. You want old growth. You want hard maple. Okay. You so want let's something. talk about wood then. I don't know yeah. much about anything. So let's talk uh -huh. about wood in general. Like, how do you know if something's a good piece of wood and like beyond that as yeah. well, I guess? So it really depends on purpose. Every wood is a good piece of wood for a specific purpose, right? Okay. So let's say like what I just described. I want to turn a trembler. Right. You do. Eventually. Okay. I want to do this. Right. Okay. I have to find a piece of maple, which is a species. Yeah. Okay. One stipulation is I want hard maple, not soft maple. Those are two big variations in species. Okay. Hard maple is much harder than soft maple, as the name implies. Right? Yeah. So it's much stronger. Okay. Right? So when you're turning it hard, it stays, is it's more stable. Nice. Right. For this specific project. Okay. Right? And when I said I wanted it quarter sawn, that's a really specific way that it was cut out of the log at the log mill. Okay. okay. So I could draw it for you. It's really hard to describe. Um, but, you know, go to Google and just type in quarter sawn and you'll probably find a diagram in the images. Okay. Is but it like the center of it? Or no, like... the center is actually the worst part of the tree. Okay. Which so is it's hilarious. <laughs> that's called the pith. And interesting. it's the most unstable part. Okay. The, the quarter sawn is, it's an interesting way you saw it so that when you look at like a square piece, the grain runs straight through it. Okay, There's up no, and down. Yeah, up and down, as I decide, it's, it's just straight the whole time. There's no angles or, or curves or anything, okay. okay? And it's the most stable piece of wood out of the cut. Okay, and the grain is the parts inside the lines, yeah, it's right? All Which the lines. run yep. up and down, mm -hmm, okay. Mm -hmm. all, you growth rings, grain, it's, it's all just about the same idea. Okay, yep. that's awesome. And then, so I say that, and then you say you want old growth. So there's old growth and there's new growth, especially in America. We still have a okay blend of both. Old growth is stuff that was here, colonial era and before, and some past colonial area. These are forests and trees that have been around before we were logging them, right? Yeah. The reason that we like old growth is because the rings and the grain are much tighter packed because in those old growth forests, it was much more of a fight for survival for those trees. So they only grew in little increments, making them very, very strong. Okay. But new growth are these new forests that we've been growing, which is fantastic. You know, we got to regrow what we cut down. Yeah. But new growth forests, 
they grow faster because there's not as much competition. So right. the growth rings are much larger. And we want the trees to grow. So we're taking care of them. Yeah, and, and we're taking care of them. But with new growth, you know, if um, it has its purposes, it's just not as strong as old growth would be. Okay. Right. So like any, uh, like you buy a two by four from Home Depot, that's most likely new growth pine. Right? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those would be the really specific stipulations for a trembler. But then we could go to the complete opposite of the spectrum. Let's say I want to make or really ornate like uh, platter. Okay. Okay. Now I'm not looking for strength. I'm not yeah. looking for stability. I'm not looking for anything specific. I might think, hey, I want a spalted, a piece of soft spalted maple. Which means what's spalted yep. in itself mean? Okay. So spalting is really interesting. It's when you take a tree, you cut it down and you let fungus and other things kind of culture itself in the wood so it's just laying there in mm -hmm. the forest okay. some people even go as far as to bury logs to get them to spall it's wow, i mean okay. it's really ornate yeah and it develops this like black spider webbing figure in the wow. wood it's it's simply stunning okay okay the only problem with it is now that there's fungus impregnated in it one you have to stabilize it by heating it up to kill anything that's in there okay and it's going to be much softer because the fungus has eaten away at some of those fibers right so it's nothing for strength but it's really beautiful so you turn it for a nice ornate platter because of the beauty yeah um not necessarily the strength yeah right? and it so doesn't yeah. have to have the same stability as a really complex piece yeah. you're throwing on a turner mm -hmm. okay that's really cool yep okay and like that's really interesting. I guess that means that there's like a limited amount of old growth there is. wood in there's the world, an right? an extremely limited amount. So it'd like, be more expensive and, you know. Yeah, it's more expensive. It's harder to find. A lot of people hoard it for its intrinsic oh, value, okay. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I really wish there were more precedences to sustain old growth forests for future uh, consumption, right? Maybe we set aside a few that are new growth right now. But we let become old growth in order to have that stronger, more innate wood in the future. For other people, mm -hmm. yeah. And do you know if anybody's doing anything like that yeah, yet? I really have done the research to know, okay. probably, but who knows? Maybe, yeah. That's really interesting. I mean, lately with the class three ban on rosewoods and bubinga, I mean, who knows what they're doing. So what does that mean then? So this is hilarious. There's okay. a lot of backstory to this. Okay, I'm ready. I've got time. We were really frustrated in the community when this happened, but after understanding why it happened, it made more sense. So I think it was about a year ago, a government agency, or it's actually an international agency that a lot of governments follow. Okay. Right. So they put in law rules that is then either made into law or just followed generally. Okay. And they determined that the entire species. Okay. I don't remember the specific like species, genus, or whatever it was, but this entire like subset of trees called rosewoods. They determined that to be a class three import. Okay. Okay. And so what that means is that it cannot cross an international border. Like okay. you can't import it at all. Okay. It's just not possible anymore. What's the highest class? It's class three. Three is the highest. Yeah. Okay. So like. So it can't leave the country it's in. Yep. It's exactly. So now we can't get any more into the U.S. because it doesn't grow natively in the U.S. Okay. So what's here is here. We just don't That's have the it. climate for it, right? Or yeah, yeah. It's climate. It's <clears throat> soil. It's a bunch of stuff. Uh, I think we've tried. I think there are a couple, but not much. Okay. And you know, class three is like you. You know those crazy news stories where like a guy got his guitar compensated and it destroyed at an airport. 
Oh, the man. reason being is the wood that the guitar was made of is class three. Oh man. Class three, if I remember correctly, is the is the one where like not only does it cover raw material and parts, it covers finished products. Which is crazy to me. Like they're limiting finished product, which kind of makes sense, but like right. people are getting their multi-million dollar guitars destroyed. Yeah. Because they forgot that, that it's got it in there. Yeah, and a lot of people don't even know that. <sighs> And you, and I'll explain why the class three ban happened. Okay, yeah, let me. Know. So from again, from what I understand, in China, there's a specific style of furniture. Don't ask me to pronounce the name. I can't. Okay, that's right. <laughs> there's a specific uh, style of furniture that is made out of rosewood, and it's really ornate, and it's usually reserved for upper middle class and like high ranking um, citizens, right? Okay. China has recently had a pretty big economic economic boom, right? Yeah. So there's a larger upper middle class. In turn, in order to represent themselves as upper middle class, they order this specific style of furniture, thus leading to larger deforestation of these rosewoods and a huge, I mean, I'm talking huge black market for this stuff. Okay. Okay. It's like a status thing. Now, yeah, it's a right? status thing in China. And so... All of a sudden, all these uh, this huge demand goes up, and all these rosewoods are disappearing. So they're like, "We got to do something now," and so they class three the whole thing. That's really interesting. Um, just to, because there were only specific rosewoods that were accepted to be suitable for this furniture style. Okay. But what the organization said is like, "Well, even if we ban those specific rosewoods, the the culture is just going to shift and be like, well, we'll just include this one so that it's easier to get, and they'll just go through the entire species." Okay. So they just did a outright ban on everything covering it all mm -hmm. yeah. and it's unfortunate one because it kind of kills the ornate craftsman industry that uses rosewood in like europe and america and all over the world right yeah um you know we've moved on to other species that we really enjoy that's not a big deal right and it really didn't solve the problem it and it in fact from again what i understand i haven't been there i haven't seen it i've only read and heard um but the the illegal, the black market trade of this lumber has skyrocketed. Okay. And it's yeah. really hard to catch because these custom agents in customs agents in these uh, countries, they don't necessarily know what they're looking at. They're not, right. they're not tree specialists. They're not biologists. They're just guys that have yeah. pictures and are like, ah, I think it's okay. Okay. Um, and you know, there's no fault to them at all. Like, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? You know, and you, you you're can't. not going to hire someone else just to look for the wood, yeah. I think, you know? Yeah. And so, it's and the reason I know that this is happening, it this is the craziest set of circumstances. One of my big time customers, yeah, he is he has like two or three PhDs, and he taught soybean farming science at some university. Okay, like, weirdest, super yeah, <laughs> super niche yeah, like niche like crazy smart guy. Okay, his wife is the daughter. Of the president of Bolivia. Okay, that was a bit of a stretch. His wife is the daughter of the president of Bolivia. Okay, wow. So he has this in sort of. He doesn't like you know take advantage of it, but like, he like pretty much knows the. You would hear the, a lot. Yeah, yeah. The politics down there. He told me that there's a huge Amish community down there, okay. and they're the ones in the black market rosewood trade. They oh, cut man. these things down. They haul them out via horse horse trails. And they sell them illegally. Interesting. And it's super hard to trace because the majority of the Amish sex down there are cash-based. 
They're all right. cache based. Yeah. So you can't you track can't trace it. Yeah. It's it's insane. That's really interesting. And so now it sounds really sketchy, but well, it's, it's <laughs> sketchy. And so now all these rosewood trees are just disappearing off of private properties okay. out in the jungle. It's yeah. insane. They're just getting cleared. Mm-hmm. That's and really they're ending up in China. <laughs> yeah. After a bit, you know, a bit of time, they get there. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, okay. I'd like to hear about um, a project you worked on once, which you're like really proud of and like some of the steps it took you to create something. Really proud of. Or something you enjoy that you made, you know? Yeah. um, Or what have you made before, if that's a better question? Well, something that I really enjoyed making um, just for the fun of it, and this isn't specifically wood turning, but like I think it was last summer. I sat down with all my hand tools. I did this with the majority hand tools and I built a hut, like a meditation hut out in the woods okay. out of pallet wood. Near your house? Or... Yeah, near, okay. near my old house. Yeah. And it took like three or four weeks, but I built a legit hut out okay. of all pallets. Okay. Like I can cut signal, signal shingles. I did the soup. I did the structure out of all pallets. I mean, okay. it was awesome. But then... You know, if you move into the turning realm, specifically... Wait, wait, I want to keep on that hut a little okay. bit more. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, um, what was your motive? It's a meditation hut. Yeah, it was... How big is it? And it like, was four foot by four foot okay. by, like, four foot tall, I think. Yeah. So, it was it was relatively small, but it was big enough for me to kind of lay in, sit up in. Yeah, and what's the shape of it? Like, is so, it square? Well, it like, was square, and then you had two foot high walls, and then a, just a simple two-sided sloped roof. Okay, and is it still there now? Or Actually, after I was done with it, and I used it for a little while, and, you know, had my fun, it was really a giant experiment, I burned it. <laughs> Whoa, okay. I took it apart, I hauled it to the bonfire pile, and I burned okay. it. So, did you keep it up for just a summer? Because yeah, just a summer, more or less. It wouldn't really last. In, well, no, in the it wouldn't winter, last right? much longer. It's just why leave it out there? I was moving. One, oh, okay. and you know, it wasn't really worth moving it. Okay, that's really cool. Just to, like be more in nature and like mm-hmm. yeah, kind of hang out there and read and, and think and uh, you know, just be mindful. Okay, that's that's really cool. Mm-hmm. But okay, yeah. Now, like, I would like to hear about something else. Then, like, yeah. So, in like the turning realm, like I said, I've done some commissioned Harry Potter ones. Oh, cool. Yeah. And this was a few years ago, and I had some. I knew some people that were in like high school, and they're big fans. And the entrepreneur that I was was charging like a hundred dollars per piece for these things. It was insane okay. the amount of money I was making on these things. Right. But I spent a lot of time in making these really delicate, extremely long and ornate um, custom wands, you know, just, you know, prop wands for fun. But it just, the, the amount of time and the outcomes were, were beautiful. I mean, I, some of these things, like one of them I turned into a taper and I drew a spiral on it, a double helix, okay. What does a taper mean? So it was thick on one end down to a fine point. Okay, got it, yep. okay, it tapers off. Yeah, it's okay, like a, got it. think of it like a, a drumstick, sort okay. of, um, just a longer angle. Yeah. Okay, it was about yeah 13 inches long, I Okay. Think. And I drew a double helix on it, right? So just two spirals. And I sat there with a Dremel, and I hand-carved I, I boarded out uh, a slot through the whole thing so that at the end it became two separate pieces of wood that spiraled with each other all the way up to the tip. That's and awesome. And were connected on each end. 
Okay, that's yeah. really cool. And how long did that take you? To... I think in terms of man hours for that specific one, I was in maybe eight. Eight hours. So it wasn't okay. terribly long. Yeah, that's not too bad. Um, that's actually really cool. And like, what's your mindset at when you're doing woodworking? Is it like also like meditation? Like well, you're deep in your okay. thoughts or is it so consuming that you can't focus on anything else? Or is it this like happy mix, like flow state? Like how do you yep, feel? Okay, that's like, what I was going to ask you. Have you ever heard of flow? Yeah, I have. Okay. I'm reading the book right now. Okay. Flow, right? Yeah. And it's this big hype word right now. Oh, flow. Can you get into flow at work, man? Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Because if well, you are, you're you're there, you know, yeah, it's like... <laughs> but, like, I, I don't want to say I liked it before it was cool, but I really, when I was younger, I started to understand, like, well, something is different with my psychology when I'm woodworking. Okay. I'm very focused. Yeah. I, time seems to move, stand still. And these are all the things which people say flow yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. You know? So, I, you know, once I understood what flow was, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm entering into flow every time. Which is what? Let's talk about that then. Like, yeah, what I'm is not, your understanding of flow? So, I'm not super versed in it. Okay. And last time I read about it was like a year ago. So, don't quote yeah. me on anything. No worries. I'm just interested. Um, my understanding is, you know, it's a really, it's a word assigned for a highly meditative state, right? Yeah. So you look at like Tibetan monks, they're entering in and out of flow a bunch when they're meditating. Um, and, you know, you can either learn to enter flow through, you know, meditation, the Buddhist way, right? Yeah. Or, you know, you can enter flow in a very Western way where you're doing something that you love and your mind starts to get engulfed in the process, right? You know, it's, it's something when flow happens, you're doing a task that you know, but it's not too easy. It's something that challenges you just enough that you, you have to invest in it, but it's not something that's so easy. You, you don't have to think about it. Right. right. It's not boring it's, it's, and it's not frustrating. And, yep. And this is really happy medium of just like content work. And it's something I really strive for in like anything that I do, because yeah. if I can work contently, I feel much better about what I do. And you can work forever. Like, yeah, you know what exactly. I mean? It doesn't yeah, feel like I'll work like, anymore. I wake up and it's like one o'clock in the morning. I'm like, oh, yeah, shoot. The day's gone, you yeah. know? And it, yeah, I understand what you mean. I feel that like when I draw or paint, yep. it's like the same idea. You just like, mm -hmm. it's really nice, you know? Yeah. And so, there um, was, um, it's. I think it was called like Zentangles or something like this. Some couple developed this drawing method, quote unquote. I mean, anybody could do it with just about any drawing, but like they've been teaching classes on how to like purposefully enter flow through this drawing process and just sit there and just like draw and, and be in this state of, of contemplate uh, on um, contentment. Okay, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. If I have to guess what it is, you would be drawing and then it still has to be challenging. So there has to be some yeah, sort of it, pattern yep, there's to a the pa way you they draw. They have specific patterns that they want you to draw, but you can draw however you want. It's just follow these patterns when you draw. And yeah. It, 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 like, it kind of trains you to automatically enter at the moment you start doing it. Yeah, like there has to be enough structure and freedom for mm -hmm. flow to happen, yep. right? It's, it's kind of what I, what I understand, so... Yep. So I, I definitely enter flow when I woodwork. I enter flow when I'm doing anything that I do with my hands, really. Um, so when I'm doing my embroidery, when I'm carving, when I'm weaving, when I'm doing knot work or anything, you know. Yeah. It's just like 
really good, I guess. Yeah, know? it's it again, like I said, it's something I really strive for anytime I'm I'm sitting there. The only time I don't specifically strive for flow is when I'm in a class. Okay. So when I'm in a class, if I enter and I've tried it, I've entered flow in a class and you know, you think during the process, you think you're like listening, but the moment you lose flow at the end of the class, it gets tucked away in the back of your brain. Oh, it's you only, don't remember it's, anything. It's, it's what I consider a flow memory. So it only comes back to you when you're back in flow. Right. So you have to get into a flow when you need the information again. Yeah. Right? Unless you can learn how to recall it. And, and that's certainly possible. I've tried. You okay. can. It's just, it, it's a process. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Um, well, yeah, that was really helpful. I learned like a lot, you know, thanks a lot for teaching me. Is there anything else like related to woodwork you want to tell people about or I mean, have you touched I, the bases, you know, like, dude, I barely scratched the surface. Okay. So you know, <laughs> we talked about turning and we talked yeah. about like rough carpentry with the hut. Right. But there's like a whole world between there. You're talking furniture making. You're talking eras of furniture making. I mean, does this, you know, talking finish work. I mean. I have a book and I'm, when I say a book, I mean like a thick book okay. and it's understanding wood finishing volume two and it goes into scientific detail on just one step in the woodworking process, just the finishing. Okay. Wow. It's huge. And, and, and I mean, even that is, it's insane. I'm considered one of the finishing guys where I work. So like if somebody has a pretty advanced finishing question, somebody flags me down I don't always love. Okay. But the only reason that they do is because I've read this book and like I have this huge database of knowledge on finishing specifically. Yeah. But that's true to any facet of woodworking. I mean, there is so much knowledge to be had and I'm still learning. I mean, there are things I, I have yet to even touch in terms of tools. Like a scroll saw, I've used like twice, but there's okay. this whole community. There are several magazines devoted to scroll saws, right? I mean, just so much knowledge. Which is pretty exciting. Yeah. Like, being in yeah. a field like that so, is, like, the best. Like, if if somebody really wanted to, like, get to know, uh, you know, have, like, a crafts skill, woodworking is possibly one of the best ways to get into it for a couple of reasons. It's relatively inexpensive to get into. It's not hard to find cheap tools. It's not hard to learn how to use cheap tools and kind of build it up. It's not hard to find cheaper materials to start out, right? Yeah. And there is a world of opportunity, a world of opportunity. So that means you could try scroll sawing, you could try turning, you could try carving, knife making. I, I mean, I, again, if you want to learn just anything to do with your hands, woodworking is great because there's a plethora of availability and a lot of them have skills that intermingle with each other. So it's really easy to transfer from like, oh, I'd like scroll sawing. I'd like to try making bandsaw boxes now. A lot of the ideas from scroll sawing transfer over to that bandsaw boxes. Okay. Oh, cool. That's awesome. So, you know, getting into woodworking, you learn a lot of like base skills that can be expanded everywhere. Okay. Into other things there as well. Is. I think like the more you dive into any topic at all, you oh, kind of yeah. realize you, this deficit of knowledge, which is like kind of why I'm doing the podcast as well. Just to, like kind of scratch the surf surface at least of a lot of different realms you know yeah. um like in, in the same way like you get into art you know and there's like figure and but there's painting and like those are there's just so many different mm -hmm. things to learn about oh yeah and that's like it's really I mean, exciting it's you know? the amount of connectivity between the world is insane 
yeah it's 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 it almost makes somebody want to cry <laughs> how much there is to see and do and you're like how am i gonna do all this yeah you never can right? yeah it's, and that's that's something you do have to kind of realize is like you will never do everything yeah ever yeah <laughs> but you can try you know you like can certainly try your heart around and yeah you know do what you find is interesting, you know? Well, yeah. And, and, you know, before we started recording, we talked about, you know, the Da Vincian concept of, you know, like never ending curiosity. Yeah. Like I'm a real big Da Vincian in that facet. Like I do not stop being curious. Okay. Something piques my interest. I write it down. I look it up. Yeah. I watch 15 hours of YouTube videos about it and maybe try it. <laughs> right. <laughs> do you do a lot of reading as well? Or I do a ton of reading. What's so, the main way you like learn, I guess? Is it podcasts? So, Is it books? Yeah. Is it everything? YouTube? Like, how does that come about? It's a lot of everything. But the primary way I learn is is it's this really messed up way of learning. Okay. Because I'm worried, it's, yeah. it's so it's so like out, you know, jumping from place to place to place. I get on YouTube. I get I pull up the subject and then I set the video speed to 2x. Okay. Cuz I can I can I can uh process it. Process it at that speed. Yeah. So I can still do that. I don't know how long I'm going to be able to do that, you know, maybe I turn like 30 and I have a problem. That's it. Yeah. But <laughs> I I watch it and then all of a sudden he says something that I don't quite get. I pause the video, I search it and I read an article or okay. maybe I find a book on it and then I order the book. And then I start watching the video again. Okay. And then like, huh, that's interesting. And then I search that the next concept on like YouTube and then like somebody's got a whole video dedicated to it. And so by the end of like one night, I have 30 some tabs open with notes written down just all over my desk. And I may or may not have learned what I wanted to learn. Right, right. But Would I, you always stick with that first base video or that doesn't always happen? No, well, like, I'll finish it and then I'll move on. Okay. Or yeah. sometimes I get bored. I'm like, eh, this isn't quite fitting how I like it. So I will, I will pause it. I'll keep it there. I will find another one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Something I like to do is pick something I want to learn about. Right now, it's um, psychology mm, and yeah. like purpose in your life and and stuff like that. That's what I'm looking into. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll I love reading, so I'll read a book. And then whenever the book mentions another book, I'll order the book. Yeah. And when I'm finished my book, I'll read so the next the one. End of it, you know, a library. That's and, right. Yeah. And it's all related to the same topic. And you start to see the parallels between the books or it'll talk about the book which came before the book you're reading. And so you really get like a deep kind of understanding yeah. of whatever yeah. topic you're in. But the worst thing about that is you, you don't really escape that. Yeah. You know, so you have to be intentional about. Well, and the other thing is like, I, I'm dyslexic. Okay. Um... And so reading has not always been my favorite. I've kind of, you know, done my battle and I've, I've learned to kind of deal with it. Uh, I use a, I use a, like a stick reader and okay. that really helps me focus in on one line and kind of work through it. So I've come, I've become kind of proficient at, you know, reading and gleaming information. Yeah. But I've always started with that base of like a video. Yeah. And if I see it happen and then read about it happening, I make way better progress towards learning it than if i did one or the other that's awesome and like we're so lucky i think to be in like in this information overload you know what i mean like it's scary and good all at the same time yeah and i'm i'm really glad for it you know (laughs) if that makes sense like um you can learn about anything you want to you know yeah Like, like i knew nothing about cars last summer and then all of a sudden uh my car like 
kicked the can and I was like, I'm not going to buy a new car. Right. So three days of like intense research later, I learned how to rebuild like entire sections of the engine essentially. Yeah. And I did it by myself. Which is amazing. Which like, I would have never done. Props to you. I would you have know. never done had I not had that resource available to me. Yeah. Now, granted, it all went to waste because some idiot made me legal left and hit me two weeks afterwards. But, right, you know, right. it's a fun learning experience. That definitely sucks. But, yeah, that's really cool. And right now, I don't know much about cars. But uh, that can change, you know? <laughs> Dude, it is a rabbit hole and a half. Oh, really? Oh, my like, goodness. Like everything, like we said earlier, too. Uh, like, cars especially. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So... But yeah, I think that's a really good place to end. I learned a lot today and I'm perfect. Really appreciate it. And I'd really like to have you back sometime uh, as I start this podcast up and see where it goes. You know what I mean? Talk about anything, man. Um, Yeah, I'd really enjoy that. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, no problem.